Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court and CPS issues. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, and today we have a very special guest, uh, Trish Geis. She is a divorce and co-parenting coach, and we have her daughter on, Keely. And we're going to have ourselves a nice conversation and uh, talk about how Keely has made it through her journey, through the divorce of her parents, and coping through parental alienation and family court, and what she wants to do with her life in the future. So welcome, Keely and Trish. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Definitely. I'm so glad to have you all on. <laughs> so, Excited so, to be on. I'm glad. I'm glad, Keely. So, you know, how, how old are you now? I just turned 20 in April. Okay. And when you went through family court, what did you think of it? Um, family court, um, it was basically more of just uh, uh, doing the voice of a child. So it was just a lot of um, therapy. Um, a lot of it, most of it was play therapy, um, which I enjoyed as a kid. Um, it was wasn't the most exciting or um, lovable experience. You know, I didn't really love going and talking about my feelings. You know, when I'm like, you're that young, you'd rather be at home, like hanging out with friends. Um, so that was a little bit difficult. Um, also, you know, when you're that young, you don't know exactly how to um, articulate how you're feeling. And it sometimes can be a little bit um, frustrating to uh, express that to the person that is gathering all the information to take to the courts. Now, who is gathering this information from you? Um, we moved from, we had a, a child, like a therapist when, like my brother and I, when we were younger, um, and then we stopped seeing her, and then later on um when more of the courts um court stuff came up we went to go see someone else and i think it was maybe like once a week once every two weeks and mm -hmm. yes yeah, so we just went to go see a therapist to get and she get gathered all that information into a report to give to the courts did you find that kind of helpful that you had someone to talk to or you did you find it intrusive like you just want to be left alone. Um, I felt like it had, um, looking back now, I think it did help me in the moment. I don't, I wasn't as appreciative of it. Um, I think it was more of just an, a, um, kind of a nuisance to me just cause I had to relive all of it and explain it all over again to someone new. Um, so, I mean, back then, I think it was a little bit, I felt like it was a little intrusive, I guess, and just more of a nuisance. Um, but now, looking back, I do think that if it was just kind of left alone and I didn't have a professional to help me through some of it, um, I definitely would be having a harder time now. Mm -hmm. So how long did you see a counselor? Um, specifically for the voice of a child, um, I want to say 
maybe like a couple of months. Um, but for like personally for myself, um, years mm -hmm. I've been, yeah. You know, uh, like as far as the future, do you think you will see this counselor? Uh, you know, some people are lifers with counselors, <laughs> you know, because um, I mean, I myself have been, you know, with a counselor, thank goodness, with everything that I went through. But I don't know if you'll be the same. Do you think you'll be seeing one maybe off and on throughout your whole life? Um, well, the counselor that I'm seeing right now um, has helped me more than any other um, therapist I've seen in my life. And uh, she helps with like the small stuff and the big stuff. And I find that when I go too long without seeing her, um, I miss it. Um, so I think I need that. I think it's um, just the structure of it is something that I need in my life. So I, I can definitely see myself um, sticking with it for as long as I need it. I don't think it's something I really want to get rid of in my life and mm -hmm. at any point, I don't think. Right. Because some people, you know, they'll, they'll quit for a while and then maybe a year or two later, they might go back to a counselor just to run something else past them, you mm -hmm. know, and um, that's helpful too. Um, sometimes it's hard to find a good counselor. It sounds mm -hmm. like you found a good one that you really like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like I was um, kind of uh, like those people you're describing where I, once I didn't absolutely have to go to therapy, um, I did not go. I did not want to go. Um, and it wasn't until a couple of years ago where um, I was having a really tough time mentally that my parents, um, I don't want to say forced, but it felt at that time it was forced. And they kind of nudged me to go because they knew that that's something that I needed because they didn't know how to help um, in that situation because it's it was like a new situation for them. So they wanted me to get some professional help. And I'm really glad that that did happen because um, there was a lot of trial and error with finding a therapist. But um, the one that I found uh, that I have right now, um, I'm extremely happy with where I am in my life and, you know, she's helped me through a lot. So I'm really grateful that I was pushed to go back into therapy so that I could find her. Mm -hmm. Is she young? Is she middle-aged? Uh, she is younger. Um, she's probably, um, early thirties, maybe mid thirties. So she is really easy, um, to talk to. So, and we have, um, she kind of also inspired me to um, just seeing how young she is and how passionate about like her job she is. It um, pushed me towards um, like wanting to make that my career, you know, being a psychologist. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So are you taking classes for psychology right now? Um, I actually start uh, at St. Mary's for a spring summer session at uh, on Tuesday, and um, then I'll be finishing my um, bachelor's at MRU in the fall um, for uh, psychology. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And you'll, you'll probably have to get your master's, right? Are you thinking about that and your PhD? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So I got, you have a master's after and then uh, got to get certified. So it's going to be a long eight years ahead mm-hmm. of me, but um, I'm really hoping that, you know, once um, COVID dies down, I really would like to um, possibly take my master's abroad um, somewhere just to have um, a little bit of a different experience. No, that would be good. Like, uh, where do you want to go abroad? Um, I've been looking at uh, Norway. I really like how um, they're, I just like the atmosphere of it. A lot of people are a lot happier there. They're a lot, um, there's just, there's like a sense of community there. Mm-hmm. Um, also my, um, I know a lot of, about my mom's side of the family and where they're from. Um, but my dad's side, I'm, we don't, I don't really know a whole lot, but the only thing I know is that they're from uh, Norway. So I think it would be interesting to go there to learn like, just on my own to see what it was like there, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I was looking up Norway too, and it said that they were the, one of the happiest, um, <laughs> like, nations. Mm, <laughs> and yeah. I thought, well, that's interesting. And they said, like, everyone is friendly with their friends. And if someone new comes in, they're not so welcoming. It's like it's hard to make friends once you get there, but then eventually you will. but they're hard to get to know but once you get in there and you're a permanent fixture then they get used to you and I found that interesting as well you know yeah yeah I think it's just because it's um so they all take care of each other so it's Mm -hmm. kind of like like just like a giant family right so when someone new comes into um your family then you're, you're, you're a little bit protective of the people that you um, know and love. And then, uh, you know, once you get to know them, you get accepted. So that's kind of how I think of it. Um, and I feel like that's kind of, a, a, it's, it's a, I don't even know how to say it. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a nice um, feeling. Like I, if I, if I were to go there, um, and I was to be accepted, like, I would feel like, okay, I earned it. I, you know, like, they got the, they took the time to get to know me, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, do you have uh, a university picked out over there? Have you investigated it that far? Maybe, maybe you didn't yet. Um, it is a little bit far down the road, and I haven't just, I did, uh, when I was thinking about um, what school I want to go to, I did do a little bit of research um, just to see um, if many universities over there um, did masters for psychology and all that, and if I could possibly get certified there. Um, But then, you know, COVID happened, so I haven't really done as much research as I would have liked just because everything else got put on hold, so. Mm Now, as far as when you become a psychologist, do you want to specialize, say, in, um, well, like the, the, the court systems in regards to parental alienation? Um, so I, for when I go into psychology, I think uh, I've talked to my psychology, uh, psychologist about this as well. And she said that there's, you know, different pathways you can go down. Um, but I think with my 
um, like experiences that I've had in my life. Um, there was a lot of trauma and um, for me now in a better, like now that I'm in a better place, looking at it, it's um, interesting to me to f just to see how um, trauma and um, your environment can uh, change the the chemistry in your brain and how it can um, change certain make certain behaviors um, happen in people and how you can um, go to a psychologist to learn how to kind of uncross those wires um, so I think I would really like to um, stick with trauma um, mm -hmm as kind of just a broad thing and then maybe once I'm done school I can narrow it down. Um, I also have a really um, big interest in neuropsychology um, and again that's just going to be more of um, learning about the brain chemistry and everything which I find super interesting. Yeah that is interesting. Um, I was looking at some article where it shows what uh, like a child's brain does when they have gone through alienation. I wish I would have saved it, but um, it was fascinating um, what can happen, you know, when you've got a parent that is uh, not cooperating. And, you know, how do you feel about um, the cooperation of your parents through all of this? Um, I think that... Um it definitely, uh, the whole process wasn't easy um, for me uh, because again, I was the older sibling. So um, I very much felt like I had to look out for Ty. Um, and there were some times where my parents weren't um, the best at communicating. Um, and I felt like I was put in the middle a lot and I had to kind of mediate um the conflict mm -hmm. and um that it very much made um me uh, grow up very very quickly at a very young age um so i think it's um when we're you know as we're, since we're doing this podcast to like educate everyone else i think that um when someone when parents are you know, thinking about getting divorced and they have, you know, young kids or even like older kids that they need to think about, um, they need to focus on their own communication and focus on themselves and themselves as a unit because they're still very much um, the parents and that's the one thing that connects them and that's the one thing that they need to um, make sure is strong so that the kids never feel like they need to take on a parental role or um, mature at a quicker rate. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think of, you know, co-parents that with someone you can't co-parent with? Like they will like say block the other parent <clears throat> and just refuse to speak to the other parent. What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think, um, in that situation, um, obviously that's a very like, difficult situation to navigate because you can't force anybody, um, to talk to you. You can't force them to, um, communicate and work with you. Um, but 
Uh, I think the, uh, we, when we did family counseling, um, reunification counseling, I found that that actually um, having, I mean, it was a little uncomfortable having, you know, both parents in the same room and talking about feelings just because it hasn't happened in many, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, but that definitely, I think, got um, at least started a conversation. Um, but I guess I don't, there is no specific, like, there's no easy way, I guess, around it. There's not one um, solution. It's kind of, uh, you kind of have to do trial and error and it's, it's going to be like, a, it's going to be a lot of work. Um, but yeah, just, it just, as long as it stays separate and that the kids aren't, um, involved in any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't really know. I can't, I can't say cause I wasn't, I'm, I wasn't a parent. I wasn't a parent. Like I wasn't a parent in that situation. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what it's like to um, personally deal with someone that um, refuses to co-parent, obviously. So I don't have a whole lot of knowledge on how to combat that, I guess. As far as um, parental alienation, how have you handled that aspect of your life? Um, so do you mean like a coping with like the divorce and all the conflict that was in the divorce or? Yeah, the conflict or having a parent try to turn you against the other parent. Mm, well, um, I, there's, there's definitely a lot of that um, where, you know, you would, uh, I was told things about one parent from the other parent and I, that I, a kid never needs to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and it definitely, um, like I said before, um, makes you mature a lot quicker because it's more of an adult topic a lot of times. So you need to, first you need to figure out, first I needed to figure out, you know, like what is this, what is this information that I'm getting? Like, what does this mean? And then I had to figure out how I was to fix it because I felt like they were coming to me with a problem and I had to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, so very much it, uh, as much as I tried to be a kid, it was always very um, stressful for me to mm-hmm. um, help because I, I, I'm very much the type of person that wants everyone to be happy. Mm-hmm. And um I had to make, you know, Ty happy. I had to make my mom happy, make my dad happy. And when, you know, you're getting information about another parent and it's, it's just really, it's really confusing. Mm -hmm. And um, when it's not really talked about or um, dealt with uh, and kind of just left with, you know, a lot of times it was just left. I was just left with that information and not a whole lot of conversation and not even sometimes an apology. You know, I'm sorry. I said that that was wrong. It didn't come till many years later. Mm-hmm. And, um, as a kid, I, um, didn't cope in always the healthiest ways. I became, uh, extremely, uh, depressed mm-hmm. and I started, you know, self-harming and I started to have suicidal thoughts and um I started uh kind of 
cutting myself off from friends. I didn't want to go out as much. And um, that very much carried over into my um, ad adult life. And I'm still kind of dealing with the depression and the anxiety and all of that. Um, and I think a lot of people don't understand that um, depression is not always something that you know, you're just born with. Um, mm -hmm. It's something that you can develop, just like many other things, you can develop it. And it's very much um, the, the environment that you're put in with your family and people that you love very much dictates, you know, whether or not you're gonna um, be able to cope in a healthy way or a non-healthy way, you know, like it's um, a lot of different and I'm learning about this with my therapist, you know, there's like a lot of different um, disorders that you can um, develop because uh, of trauma in your life. And uh, I was recently diagnosed with um, borderline personality disorder, which is mm -hmm. disorder that you can be, um, that can develop um, because of trauma in your past. And it is, it is something that you can work on and get rid of and um, live free from. But, um, you know, if that can be avoided altogether, then that would be, you know, amazing for every, you know, kid. Because it's not, like, um, I've really struggled with it. Like, it's been extremely difficult um, just because the way that, you know, the trauma rewires your brain, it very much leaves you with emotional responses where you act out and um that's just how your brain is now wired so you have to work to uncross those wires and make sure that you know both hemispheres are talking to each other again so that you can rationalize and um cope and work through what you're dealing with mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um let's see here um what do you think about, you know, as far as, you know, like anxiety and depression are like the common cold of America. Do you <laughs> think like, even with your own classmates, do you think this can, you know, this is happening to them as well? Um, with the, uh, you mean like the childhood trauma or the, um, or just, the fact that they have anxiety or depression well the trauma and that also accompanies with the, the depression and suicidal thoughts you know uh, i don't know how many of your friends have gone through this as well mm -hmm. um i definitely do have a lot of um people that i know that have um gone through um you know, they, they've been diagnosed with, um, excuse me, uh, depression and anxiety, a bunch of other things. Um, and not all of them um, have had uh, trauma in their life. Um, some of them, it, it is just, you know, uh, it either runs in the family or, you know, they just happen to um, be, they were just born with a chemical imbalance. Um, for the people that do have uh, the trauma, uh, that I know that do have the anxiety and depression. Um, mm -hmm. They are all going, they have all gone to see uh, a therapist and very much has helped with um, 
just coping. Um, but I do find that um, there is a lot of uh, stigma around mental health. And I think mm -hmm. that um, when people do talk about depression or anxiety, it's um, they don't always have all the facts and they don't always know what it feels like. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of people that just say, oh my God, I'm feeling, I'm feeling so anxious right now when really they're just, you know, it's just, um, it's a normal amount of anxiety. It's not like an anxiety disorder. Right. And then, or sometimes people say, oh, I'm like really, I'm really depressed right now when they're really just sad. And I feel like that, um, it kind of, takes away from uh, the people that, you know, have been properly diagnosed and are working through it because then, you know, it's, it's said so often in such a normal, um, like, day-to-day -day life that um, sometimes I feel like the meaning is lost. So when people do mm -hmm. come forward, it's not as um, worrisome as it sometimes should be or, um, it's not always dealt with because I think people think it's, oh, it's just this normal thing. You know, people will get over it. Um, it's not nothing to worry about when sometimes it can be quite um, serious. So. Right. Right. Um, it's, you know, it, it's hard for young people to go through this. And did you find that you were looked down upon because of your depression, things like that? Um, I definitely uh, felt as though there have um, been, you know, people in my life that um, uh, have, haven't been always been the nicest to me because um, of my mental health history. Um, you know, sometimes you, uh, I, there was one time I went to the hospital because I was having some issues with my medication and um, the nurse there wasn't um, the nicest and you know he saw my scars and he made a comment about them and um, wasn't super kind and uh, I'm learning with my new diagnosis of BPD that um, a lot of people can be um, quite rude to you in the beginning um, because they think oh they have borderline so they're gonna be angry all the time so I'm gonna be angry to them first um, so I think just like overall, I think there's a lot of, even in like um, the healthcare system, like there's, um, it's not, um, I guess there's not a whole lot of knowledge. Um, they don't, I feel like sometimes they don't always take the time to really understand what this person is going through, you know, how to properly handle it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's too bad that a nurse came in and judged you. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, it was extremely disappointing um, just because I was already um, going through um, a really tough time and I didn't know what was wrong with me at that point. And, you know, the, all the doctors that I was seeing weren't giving me um, answers to my problem. And, you know, I saw everyone else that had, you know, um, like a physical injury and they were all um, being attended to and they're really like they were asking getting asked all these questions you know making sure that they're all right and I you know was sitting at the the on the bed and I 
um, sat there for hours and I didn't know what was happening. No one would come and talk to me. And um, it was just kind of um, sad because there's a lot of people that, you know, they go to the hospital when um, they feel like they um, need help. You know, maybe they, they're feeling really suicidal and they don't want to act on it. And I feel like um, not when the hospitals don't put um, as much importance as like a physical injury, it, it um, pushes those people away and they don't have that um, comfort of, you know, going somewhere to get help. And I think that that's really, it's really quite, like it's disappointing and it, it, it hurts a lot because um, it's, you know, and even like the suicide hotlines, they're not, um, I've had experiences with them and they're not always the most helpful. They don't, you know, I feel like they don't ask the right questions. They just, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they ask, okay, well then how does that make you feel when it's, it's not, a, it's not really a therapy session. It's uh you know, you need to work quickly to talk that person off that ledge, you know? And I think that there's definitely, um, a lot more, um, people need to be educated a lot more, you know, and even doctors, I think there's needs to be a lot more, um, yeah, just education out there for people so that they understand and know how to help those people. Yeah, I interject for a second. Keely brings up an extremely important point that, you know, that comparison of people that come into the hospital with, uh, you know, an injury that you can see, a physical injury, and mm -hmm. people that come in with what I would say would, could be a mental injury. Now, so she's sitting on the bed. She could have very well been in more dire straits than somebody who has come in with physical injury, but people just tend to, and that happens in the court systems too, where, you know, we're finally getting court systems to recognize coercion and, you know, an alienation and those things, because up for, for so many years, well, if you're not beating your child, then how bad can it be? When in actuality, research shows that coercion and types of abuse and mental health is way more deadly than the physical injuries oftentimes, you know, and not to say that that physical injuries are, are any, you know, less onerous or less or harmful, but, you know, she brings up the point that it's so easy to dismiss, even people who are in the field, it's so easy to dismiss. So she's sitting there, you make a comment about her scars, you can't physically see, and I think in it's 2021, we have to be a lot more aware of the fact that, and we also, in order to get through life, we get pretty adept at coping. So we're not going to be, you're not going to notice it necessarily when in everyday life, but when a person is brave enough to seek help, which everyone says, they're having right. trouble seeking help, when they do, and you don't come to them with, even if you don't know what to do, but just to acknowledge that, um, and you send them out on their own, I think that's a huge burden to place on them. I think eventually that's how people give up because when they are brave enough to seek help, they're at their wits end. They've tried everything themselves oftentimes, and they're looking for that last dish effort, please save me. And if you're dismissed, like if you can't help, that's one thing, but if you're dismissed, I think that's the worst thing in the world. And why would you keep trying? You know, we ask a lot of people who are struggling to, you know, you can't just pick up your boots and, and strap on your big girl boots and, and, and walk through life. Like you truly need help. It's no different than if you have blood pressure problem or if you have a broken leg. It's just not, it's actually more difficult to heal. And we need, I think we're doing a great job at having conversations, but definitely I think it should be mandated. Every doctor, every lawyer, every profession, anybody that's dealing, especially with children, 
need to have a very strong psychological background and education. Uh, I've read somewhere that the people who seem to be really happy and have it all together are the ones we need to check on because they're the ones taking care of everyone else and no one's taking care of them. But I just think we have so many mental health crises going on with opioid crisis and, and then, you know, people suffering from parental alienation and so many other facets that really when it comes right down to it, we just need better education because we have awareness. But then, as Kelly was saying, you can be brave enough to go and get help. And where else would you go? You naturally go to the hospital, especially in a crisis, and they tell you mm -hmm. to do that and to be either turned away or to be, in my opinion, sometimes I know when we've gone, it sort of seems like they look at it and think, ah, you're not too bad, so you should be fine. And I think there have been too many sad stories where um, the child couldn't handle it anymore or the parents, and that's just too much of a burden to place on them. We need to support our families much more than we have been. Yeah, most and, definitely. Oh, go ahead. Just, sorry, just to add to that, just um, with the one story that I was talking about when I went to um, the hospital and he commented on my um, scars, um, I think a lot of people don't understand that, that when, um, just like with eating disorders and um, with people that um, have a tendency to self-harm, it's something that's super competitive. Um, and what I mean by that is when you, um, you see someone else maybe that's self-harm and it looks worse than what you have. You have, they have a tendency, those people have a tendency to try and one-up those people. And so when comments like that are made, um, it very much pushes people to um, almost, you know, do better in the sense that, you know, one-up themselves or one-up someone else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like sadly that that was, you know, that was the case for me when he made a comment and like, and then it did, it got, worse the next time that uh you know i did self-harm and it's just um people just need to be very i think not a lot of people are aware about um how uh competitive it is and i didn't really realize it until um like last year um where that kind of point was brought up to me where and then i looked at it and i was like yeah you know that makes sense you know because there's a lot of times where um you know, I don't um, eat during the day and then I'm talking with my friends like, yeah, I haven't eaten all day. And then, you know, they start talking about it and I'm like, well, I've eaten less, you know, stuff like that. And I've noticed it. And it's just, um, it's, a, it's, it's sad, but it's just a fact of how those type of disorders work. And that is something that I really, really think that um, specifically needs to be focused on is like people need to understand how, um, delicate that situation is and how um, those comments um, can be very, very detri detrimental to that person. And it can end up um, you know, them doing something worse next time. And it's, um, it's just, it's overall just not, uh, it's not helpful. It's not healthy for the person. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, well, I think she could, sorry, bring up another good point too about, you know, comments that are either dismissive or invalidating, um, whether they don't have to come out and say, well, I've seen worse. I mean, that makes a person feel like that. And, you know, it's, it, I think, yes, we need to be more kind, but I think especially people in the field, you know, need to understand, as, as Kitty's saying, the greater effects of it. So just because you're not seeing her right now um, exhibiting what you think would be the issues, does not mean she doesn't have internal turmoil going on. And she's telling you that she's been able to cope up until now, but now she can't. 
I don't know what more a person is supposed to do in order to seek help, right? And I, as a parent, I found that very frustrating. Um, you know, you can do all you can as a parent and as a child, but at some point you reach your limit because we just don't have the wherewithal or the knowledge. And, you know, in, from my perspective, we don't quite yet have the resources or the supports yet for that. And there are many, like thousands and hundreds of thousands of families that go through different types of things, but where they need support in this, in this type of, uh, of, of manner. And, you know, Healy, thank goodness, um, is able to seek help and she's continuing with it, which I just feel so grateful for because um, a lot of people don't and I can see why. You can only try so many times without saying, I've had enough. Like, this is just a waste of my time. It's not going to do any good. And, but worse, she's not only what I like about what Kelly's done is she's getting the help she needs. But um, even though she sees frequently, it's not a, from my perspective, it's not so much as the crutch that some people might think. She's taken it and she's learning so much from it and trying to, like, to truly learn, not just fix things, but to try and learn. And I think we need to have that attitude everywhere. Right. To understand the deeper recesses of what's going on. And, and, you know, and even in the parental alienation field, you know, oftentimes, you know, and judges too, because, you know, like I said last time, I don't want to ever see children in the courtroom, but sometimes everyone forgets what's really matters here is that there's children behind this and maybe they're okay today, but they will not be. That's why we're talking to adults of alienation and, and of divorce, because there are long-term effects. Keely said that at the beginning of the podcast that, there's struggles for a long time. And just because a person may look like, you know, Ty reacts differently than Keely, but they each have different struggles. And um, to just assume that they're okay, because even when something stops, you know, if a stressor goes away, your body's still reacting and Keely's mm -hmm. you know, can attest to that. So I just still very frustrated. You know, there's so many different elements within the family legal system, but, um, and one of them is support. You know, instead of, um, it doesn't matter which side of the coin you're looking at, um, need to do a better job of providing supports. It's one thing to punish. It's one thing to force uh, parents to behave a certain way. But, you know, as Keely was talking, something hit me and I wish we had have been told to, because at the beginning, we didn't know anything. I mm -hmm. wish we had been forced to before we dealt with any divorce stuff for my ex-husband and I to go through counseling. Because as Keely said, years later, we're in a room. He and I haven't been in a room together talking about feelings for many years. And then we're thrown together to do that. Like, give me a break. I mean, that's expecting a lot. We should have been forced to do that at the very beginning to deal with some issues, learn how to communicate, deal with all that garbage mm -hmm. because you've let it fester for however many years. It's going to come out when it matters most to the kids. And it's so backwards, you know, and you can't expect parents to know to do that at the very beginning. We need these experts to tell us you must do this because it's better for the children, as Keely said. Well, some of these experts think you should already know this. You know, and I've run into uh, psychologists and even attorneys. And I mean, one attorney, I had to tell him, I said, look, you got to tell your client what to do. I mean, I've never been through this before. And he actually sat back and listened. <laughs> but, you know, like a lot of people think, you know, these kids are resilient. They'll bounce back. But they're not looking into like a young person like Keely and what she had been through and her journey. And, you know, it takes a long time to bounce back for lack of a better word. What do you think, Keely? Maybe she's frozen. Oh, yeah. Sorry, you guys are frozen. Um, <laughs> could you could you repeat the question? please? 
Um, you know, like as far as being called, you know, like, oh, kids are resilient. They'll get, you know, they'll get over it in time. But how you have described your journey, it took a long time. So when you hear, I don't know if you hear this much, but people say, oh, kids are resilient. You know, they'll get over this divorce and parental alienation. What are your thoughts um, when you hear this? Um, I, uh, well, you know, I, I, and I have heard it before. Um, and you know, it's not never the, um, most, it's not the easiest thing to hear because, uh, people, um, don't understand that when you're a kid, um, your brain is a lot more susceptible to, um, different behaviors and that's you know that's the time where you're learning how to um you know grow up how you're you're learning in new behaviors and when you look at you not typically look at your your parents for those behaviors um so when you know there's alienation or there's conflict um and you're seeing it and it's from your parents you see it as um, you know, your gut might be saying, you know, this doesn't look right, but your brain still absorbs it because you're a kid and you're, you're absorbing everything around you, you're learning. And I think when, it's, especially when it's younger kids and they're going through divorce, parents definitely need to be super, super careful with how they um, talk with each other, what they are saying to each other in front of the kids, you know, what they're doing in front of the kids, because um, everything um, that they're doing in front of the kids, you know, as, as much as they think, oh, that's just a small thing, they won't, you know, um, retain that. It's kids retain everything, and they, mm-hmm. even the smallest things. Um, and, you know, like I was the type of kid, and I, just, I mean, still am, I, I notice. Uh, super tiny things about everybody that a lot of people don't notice. So I think when my parents were going through the divorce, I I was very I was able to pick up pick up on a, a lot of things. And um, it you know it's not the way to shape your kid's mind at that mm-hmm. point. You need to be super careful with um, how you talk about certain things what things you're telling them um because as much as you know we kids do bounce back um they that those behaviors are still um imprinted on their mind and it can be you know for for most kids since you know that's something that their parents did that's a behavior that's going to be comfortable for them so they're going to resort back to that behavior um so when they're faced maybe with something stressful um you know they will maybe you know more more likely to lash out because that's what they saw conflict um so as much as it's something that you know they can change like children can work on it um it's not just a matter of okay they saw that um they know it's wrong they'll bounce back they'll be fine because you know kids don't have that they're you know they're still learning and even down the road you know it's going to be hard to um change those behaviors because those are the behaviors that um those are the behaviors that they know from home Mm -hmm. 
And they have to be careful that they don't transfer this into their adult life. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And that's why, you know, there are counselors, like you're seeing a counselor and, that, and this is helpful. And, um, you know, do you give advice to your friends that are going through their parents' divorce? Um, well, it's actually, it's funny that you say that because I, uh, a lot of my friends actually, um, their parents are still together. So I give uh, advice on other things that are going on mentally with them, but um, I think, but it, also I think because I had, you know, when I was young and I had parents that were divorced, I have a little bit of an advantage because I um, went through many, many years of um, therapy, but I also learned kind of on my own how to handle things. So I think in that way, I have an advantage to, you know, even if they don't have divorced parents, I'm able to help them through other mental struggles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there any advice you could give any young person whose parents are going through a divorce and there's parental alienation going on? What advice could you give them? Um, I think the advice that I would give is um, as much as um, it's painful and frustrating um, that you need to um, recognize that the way that you're feeling is okay and it's right there's nothing wrong with it and that there's a reason that you're feeling this way it's not just something that you know you're making up you need to um, stand by how you feel as hard as it might be you know if you know one parent saying that, that well that's not happening or the other parent saying that um, kind of stick to yourself like just be true to yourself what you're feeling is what you're feeling and there's nothing wrong with that um you tell your parents what you need um you know and how i look at it is if you tell somebody what you need and they don't do it then that is on them and it's not on you anymore you mm-hmm. express what you needed so that stress isn't on you anymore so you tell your parents what you need and if they don't deliver or one delivers and the other doesn't that that stress um you need to let it go because it's gonna it's gonna hold you back from a lot of things you need to just think okay i put it on to someone else and if they choose to do something about it great and if they don't then i can move on with my life that's excellent well, I totally commend you because you're going into this um, profession of being, you know, a therapist and helping people with trauma. And, you know, you already have the experience. So when, when you go to write your PhD thesis paper, you're going to do real well. <laughs> Thank you. I, I hope so. Yeah. Oh, I know so. I know so. And uh, mom, what, what do you think? Do you have any uh, comments about her going oh, yes. in. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased because she's always been, ever since she was really little, she's had this caring gene that has been, was beyond what most people ever could achieve. I mean, she just, the way she cared about her brother and everyone else, and she's still like that. She just gets, has a little extra bump, but she, and she's very, to her, her level of empathy is 
off the chart. Sometimes that can be hard because you know you start to feel other people's pain, but she's always been inquisitive and gives you the time of day, wants to know more. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to serve her well in this profession. And I, I really firmly believe that you can be the smartest person and the most educated person in the world, but that little extra bit of um, uh, past experience or familiar experience gives you that edge because you can truly feel for that person. You truly, you know, in a healthy way, step in their shoes and understand a lot more than you can if you just became educated in that field. And I think there's also a sense of kinship too when you are seeing a therapist who's been through either something similar or has been through trauma. Um, I know I've experienced that myself that I find the relationship tends to be a bit more genuine. I don't have to prove to them that I've been through it. There's that immediate sense of, I get it, as opposed to, you know, Keely's talked about that. I've experienced it in different arenas. I'm sure you have too, Marianne, where you almost feel like you have to prove and justify and defend. No, really, really, this is happening. Really, this is hard mm-hmm. just because you can't see it or just because it seems so out there. It is happening. But when you have had someone who's been through different types of trauma, they get that. You, you, you don't have to explain like you do with other people. I think Keely well in whatever area of trauma or whoever she works with i think she's going to be especially with her interest in chemistry and neuropsychology mm-hmm. i think one day we'll be reading about her hearing about her you'll be interviewing her and she'll be you know either inventing things or coming up with new theories or some new discoveries about the brain and i'm really excited about it for her and uh just very proud of her and proud of how, what she's doing with her life and like she said moving on and finding some good in all of this and she's uh you know you talk about resilient I, I, there isn't a word in the language language. I don't think that's articulates what she's doing. She's, she's worked through it. She's worked hard. It has not come easy and she's done a lot of it herself. And despite all that, she's, uh, beyond survive, beyond thrived. It's just, it's really neat to see. And I hope she's an inspiration to others that you can too, because you know, there's so much trauma in the world and different types and it's not to diminish it, but I just hope that some people can, you know, maybe listen to Keely's story or Ty's story that, um, they can feel like with some help and with some work, I can have a life too. It doesn't have to define you. It doesn't have to hold you back, as Kelly said. Uh, I just think you've got a long life ahead of you. You've got to make it fantastic and what you want it to be despite what's happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, you know, the depression and anxiety, whether you have it for life or maybe not, hopefully you won't, you know, um, Keely, maybe when you get totally involved in your college studies, you'll be so busy and, and hopefully this depression will just go away, I hope. Yeah, I, I think, well, that's, you know, that's like a, also another thing is that um, I think um, as much as you are right, I think that's also something that people need to like understand that, you know, there are some disorders and stuff that you can work on. And, but unfortunately, you know, the, the depression and anxiety will always still be there. It's more of just finding um, distractions, but also mm-hmm. you need to be able to um, notice what you're feeling and not completely distract yourself to the point where it's pushed away. Um, so uh, I do like I do completely agree that you know hopefully with the distractions and everything. Um, but I also have that uh, I have to be realistic and know that you know, it's going to be, these are things that I'm going to have um, for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. But if I have ways of coping with it, then, um, then I, I shouldn't have any issues with it. Mm-hmm. Well said. That was excellent. You're going to go far. I can tell. 
you. I'm very you. impressed with you. That was excellent. Uh, mom, <laughs> mom, do you have any last words? No, I think I'll leave it with Keely. She, her points were so poignant and so impactful that I think I'm going to leave the listeners with that. Uh, she's what it's all about today. Okay. All right, Keely, anything, anything you want to leave us with? Um, I, I think just for the parents, you know, if uh, your child comes to you and they're having issues, just even having, just even saying, you know, just a few words of, I believe you, um, can help so much to, uh, just to reinforce that what that child is feeling is in fact valid and is happening. So if your child ever comes to you with um, a problem about their mental health or even just in life, just say, you know, I believe you, that's valid. Um, how can I help? Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'd like to have you both on again sometime in the future for some updates if you want. <laughs> so um, I'll, I will let you guys go and enjoy your afternoon. Okay. So, all right. We'll have you back on again, though. <laughs> Slam Sounds the good. Good. Slam, yeah, the gavels a <laughs> Slam the gavels of podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in the family courtrooms that in turn perpetuate parental alienation. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again with Trish and Keeley in the future and other exciting guests. And I thank you again, Trish and Keeley, so very much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Mm -hmm.